Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we come before you and, and ask you to speak to us. And um, I was just thinking about that song and say, if you're with us, what could stand against us? And Lord, I think of uh, the story they tell of Spurgeon in the 1800s and how when he would go up to preach, it, on every step ascending into that pulpit, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Lord, this is a work that no one's sufficient for, Lord. Um, if you don't speak through me, um, and I'm only just able to speak my own ideas, Lord, that would be a total loss for everybody, Lord. We pray that you would feed your people, feed your sheep, feed your lambs, feed your children this morning, Lord. Uh, we come before you, open hands, desiring to receive from you. Give, Lord, give us open hearts. Make our hearts good soil. Lord, we could come in here and we could come with all kinds of defenses against you, or we could come here just wanting to hear whatever you say, knowing that your word is good, your commandments are good, um, the things you tell us are good, and you are the kind of God that would send your own son to die for us, to have us in your family. And we're just so thankful. We want to hear what you have to say, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to look specifically at work, or the topic of work. Wisdom, guys, is a skillful living that creates a life of beauty, significance, and strength. And this morning, we're going to look at how our relationship to work and our relationships in work actually uh, can be lived in a wise way. And you guys know, like, every day, our, our ordinary everyday work is a huge part of our lives. And for those of us who work outside the home, we spend most of our waking hours at work. It's just a vast number. And um, just so you know, this morning, I'm gonna, I want to be clear on what I mean by work. I'm talking about work outside the home. This morning, uh, I hope to next week do Proverbs 31 and talk about work inside the home, the work of caring for children and spouse and home and things like that. This is specifically that work that we do outside of our home. And, um, and so this morning, I'm going to address those of you men and women who, like me, spend a majority of your waking hours, you know, out there. And um, it's interesting that we spend so much time on this, but we, we spend very little time thinking about it. It's actually a very small part of Christian thought and church teaching and discipleship to talk about work, which is weird. We kind of cover everything but work, but work is a huge area of discipleship, and a biblical theology of work is really important to me. As many of you guys probably know, like preaching and pastoring is not what I do for a living. I'm a volunteer, just like the rest of you guys who serve here at the church are volunteers. I'm a, actually my day job, I'm a horse veterinarian, and after this morning you might be like, keep your day job, buddy. You know, like, but uh, that's my day job. I'm a horse vet or horse doctor. And so as somebody who's been engaged in preaching and pastoring for 16 years now, I've often wrestled with what is that eight to five time about? You know, uh, w when you're really called to do ministry, then you start to think like, what about my day job? What, what about that eight to five? What about those nights on call? Like, what's God's purpose for that? Why does God even have me there? What am I there to do? What should motivate me? You know, tomorrow morning, like all of you, get up in the morning, go to work, get in the truck, go wrestle horses. Like, what should motivate me to do that? And so I've thought a lot about that. And the Proverbs are really great, guys, for formulating a biblical theology of work. Like, what is work about and why should we do it? And what the Proverbs really show us is that work is a gift, guys. Work is a gift from God. And what it shows is there's two ways to miss that gift that we're going to talk about. There's two ways to miss the gift of work, and there's one way to receive it. So that's the kind of outline for this morning. Two ways to miss God's gift of work and one way to receive it. The first way that we can miss God's gift of work is by seeing work as your enemy. 
I mean, this is very common. It's very common on Monday morning to see work. You wake up in the morning and go, it's my enemy. Like, it's come for me, right? Um, seeing work as a curse to be dreaded and avoided at all costs. Now, the Proverbs call the person who sees work as the enemy to be avoided and dreaded at all costs. The Proverbs call that person the sluggard. It's a wonderful term, the sluggard. It's the sluggard. Proverbs uh, 20 verse 4 says, The sluggard does not plow in autumn, and he will seek a harvest and have nothing. Um, the sluggard, um, in Proverbs, it talks about how the sluggard has all kinds of excuses for avoiding work. There's a really interesting one in Proverbs 22:12. It says, the sluggard will say, there's a lion outside. I'll be killed in the streets. Okay? Like his wife's like, don't you think you should get a job? And he's like, there's a lion out there. Now they did probably have lions, but this is probably an excuse, right? And, um, and a sluggard will have all kinds of excuses. They should probably do creative writing because they usually will have lots of excuses for not working. Um, it says in Proverbs 26, 16, that the sluggard is, is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And that's something that's so true. It's very hard sometimes for a person that, that views work that way to, to be told otherwise. Now, guys, when I talk about the sluggard here, I'm going to use the male pronoun. I hope that doesn't offend women because men and women could be sluggards. But it's easier for me to just say he the whole time. The women probably don't mind. They're like, that's cool. You know, like, go with that. But the sluggard will avoid work at all costs, and, and it does cost him. Being a sluggard costs. If you look at Proverbs 15, 19, it says the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. Okay, So it's not comfortable to be a sluggard. It's not a good thing to be a sluggard. There are costs to it. It costs him his relationships because he causes pain both at home and at work. Proverbs 10, 26 says what he's like at work. It says, like vinegar to the teeth, which I have no idea what that's about, and smoke to the eyes, I get that one, so is the sluggard who is sent by him. So he's just, he's a pain to the people at his work. The people who send him, it's like smoke in his eyes dealing with him. Um, and, and so he, he damages um, his relationships at work. He damages relationships at home. If you look at Proverbs 10, 5, it says, He who gathers in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Now in that kind of uh, near, near Eastern ancient context, being ashamed to your parents is a huge deal. The shame honor culture, and so for somebody to be ashamed, and what that points to is just that being a sluggard is actually uh, causes relational pain. It causes difficulty to family. Um, and, and the reason why the sluggard um, harms himself and his family and his community is because um, really he's, he's failing to love and serve others. That's what our work is really about. We'll get to that in a moment. But our work is really a way for us to love and serve others. And the sluggard does not, is failing to love those around him because he loves something else more. Proverbs say that the sluggard loves pleasure and the sluggard loves sleep. You look at Proverbs 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, and he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. So he points to the fact that the sluggard is, is, has a deeper love than his love for others, which is a love for pleasure. Or the sluggard loves sleep, Proverbs 20, verse 13. Love not sleep, lest you come into poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. Uh, Proverbs 26, uh, 14 talks about this love of sleep in a really funny way that I think we can all relate to. It says that as a door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard in his bed. <laughs> you, you ever been to that point where, like, you don't really need more sleep, but you, want, you don't want to get out and deal with life either? So you're like, flip, 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 right? That kind of thing. Now, of course, guys, sleep is super important. Uh, Bible's big on sleep. Um, many of you guys probably need more sleep than you get. Um, but most of us are not lacking sleep because we work so hard. 
right? I mean, some do. Most of us, it's not because we're working so hard. Most of it, it's, it could be that you have small children. But a lot of us, it's really entertainment that keeps us up, right? I mean, we lost our sleep with Netflix and social media and YouTube, more likely than, man, I was working real hard in the office. Like, that's not the usual for most of us. And, and, and loving wisely, this series about loving wisely, loving wisely includes, guys, planning out your week so that you have times of work. And when you work, you work real hard. And you have times of rest. And when you rest, you really rest, right? Super important. The Bible's all about, you know, a time, a, a day of rest, you know, times of rest so that we, can, that we can be sharp and be able to do the things God's called us to do. Um, so the sluggard, he, he fails to love others because he loves sleep and he loves pleasure. Uh, the sluggard's God or his idol is pleasure and comfort and maybe control. I mean, I think that can be part of it too. Like, you know, it, it's an avoidance of people telling you what to do or having you in a certain place and controlling you, right? And, it, and, and the Proverbs say that the, that the sluggard avoids work at all costs, and it does cost him. Like I said, Proverbs fifteen nineteen says that the way of the sluggard is a hedge of thorns. Like, if you go against God's model for work and for being industrious and, and living your life in that way, it will cost you. You will end up basically walking through thorns all the time, right? Because you're going against the grain of God's creation. And so it costs him, and it should cost him. It's part of God's design for turning us away from sin, right? Is to make it as painful and difficult as possible. That's actually God's love for us. Proverbs 12, 24 says, The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Okay? So one way or another, God wants to get us to a place where we're actually living the way he's intended. Um, Proverbs um, 16, 26 says, A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. And that's why it's really important, guys. We should never feed a sluggard. Okay, You should never feed a sluggard. It's clear throughout the whole Bible. And the reason is, is because you're actually interfering with God's way to bring that person to repentance. Right? So there's a person, and they're rejecting God's design for them and for their work for them. And so they want others to feed them. And if you feed them, what you're actually doing is you're causing them to go down that path and not encounter the hedge of thorns that they need to encounter. Right? And in a few weeks, um, you know, we'll look in the Proverbs about God's relationship to the poor. God has a huge heart for the poor, and we have a huge responsibility to the poor. And our church is very interested in meeting that responsibility. Um, but one of the important things is, is, that, is the ability to discern between the sluggard and the poor. They're different, right? There's the poor that we should be giving to and generous to. And our hands should be very open, and the Proverbs are very clear on that. But there's also the sluggard, which is a person that we would harm by our generosity. There's a way to harm people. And so um, in a few weeks when we talk about the poor, we're actually going to install our deacons, which I think requires a wrench or a screwdriver or something. But uh, they'll come forward and we'll tell you who the deacons are and we'll pray over them. And the cool thing is the deacons are actually charged with the ministry of mercy and they help us as a church to know where should we be giving the poor versus, you know, giving some way that it would harm. And they're experts in that. So that's going to be really fun to have them. So that's in a, in a few weeks. But feeding sluggards harms them. Proverbs 21, 25 says, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. There's something seriously destructive in a person's life when they don't live the calling of work that they were called to do, and they retreat from that. It's, it's destructive to them. And, um, and you know what, though, guys? I was thinking about this, and even for those of you who faithfully go to work, you know, all week and do your thing, it's easy for us to have the same heart about work, right? Anybody else have that struggle with that? The heart of work as the enemy? 
This is the enemy to my life. I could really live if I didn't have to do this job, right? And um, we can have a kind of a working body with a sluggard's heart, right? We can see work as the enemy. That's the first way to miss this gift. And some Christians mistakenly think that the Bible teaches that work is a curse. The Bible doesn't teach work is a curse. The Bible teaches that there's a curse on work. There's a frustration to work. But work itself is a good gift. In Genesis 3, um, after Adam had sinned, he, he, there's judgments that are placed on Adam and Eve and the serpent, right? And the one that he gives to Adam is this. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall bring forth, you shall have bread. And until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. And from, you are from dust, and to dust you should return. I mean, we can relate to that, right? The sweat of your brow, thorns, right? All these kind of things. Like, work feels like that, right? This explains why work is hard. But guys, it's hard now, but it's, that's, a, that's a difficulty put on a good thing, you know? Um, in my work, I mean, as you can imagine, I can get kicked, I can get bit, I can get trampled. And that's just the customers. I have to deal with the horses too, you know? <laughs> I, I have to deal with the horses. And, um, <laughs> and so there is a curse on it, but it's a good thing underlying that, right? Like, don't miss the fact that this is a hard thing, but it's a good thing. Just like marriage has, has difficulty placed on it because of the fall, right? And yet marriage is a good gift. Work is a good gift as well. Um, so we have to wrestle with there's a hardship placed on a good thing. And it's cool because the Proverbs and the Bible are surprisingly positive about ordinary work, right? Ordinary work. A much more positive than other ancient texts. Most ancient texts view work as an evil to your life, as an enemy to your life. And you think about the ancient Greeks. They believe that in the beginning there was no work. You know, different than Genesis 2 where there was work from the beginning. They believe there was no work in the beginning. And they believe that work came later as a form of evil into the world. Um, Aristotle taught that unemployment was an essential part to a genuinely worthwhile life. Okay? Like, if you're going to have the full life, the good life, what you need to find is a way to not work. Right? Especially not to work with your hands. Especially not to pick anything up or anything like that. The, you know, the thought of the mind was the, the thing that really mattered. Um, the ancient Greeks taught that manual labor was the lowest form of work and completely unsuitable to a well-lived life. They would look at somebody that does manual labor and think, that can't be a good life. Those poor people, you know, basically slaves. And against this common ancient attitude about work, the, the Bible is surprisingly positive, even about manual labor. You guys realize in Genesis 2, after we see the creation Genesis 1, in Genesis 2, it says that Yahweh himself, God, planted a garden. And that word is saying that he was gardening, <laughs> you know? In the first chapter, he's speaking everything into existence. In the second chapter, he gets down and gets his hands dirty. So in the Old Testament, we see God's a gardener. And in the New Testament, we see God as a carpenter. The Bible is extremely positive about work and manual work. Both of those are very manual jobs. Both of those are things that a Greek person would look down on. And yet God himself, when he becomes a man, he actually takes part in that kind of work. No other ancient text has this kind of positive view of normal, ordinary work. Um, Genesis 2 um, also talks about how human beings were given work as a gift in the context of paradise. So before the fall, God gave work to the man. And it was a good thing and it was part of his design to, to tend and keep the garden. Um, and it seems that some sort of work, guys, is essential as part of living the good life. You know, I was talking to one guy this morning. He's retired, and 
He's not stopped working. <laughs> His wife has all kinds of projects for him. It's a good thing for him. I was joking around, like, you're keeping this guy alive. You know, keep working him, right? And that's why, guys, you know, when a, when a person uh, pursues a life as being a sluggard, that it gradually destroys him. Uh, Proverbs uh, 21, 25, you know, the desire of the sluggard kills him. Um, it also shows why, like, especially for men, if we're robbed of our ability through disability or through a down economy, if we're robbed of our ability to, to engage in work, it, it harms us. It steals our dignity. It, it, it takes away our purpose. It, it, it kills us on the inside. You know, work is a part of God's good plan for us. And really, guys, all creation, if you look at creation, you look at the animals of the world, you can see that God delights in ordinary work. Um, in Proverbs 6, 6, um, he, he charges uh, people who are wrestling with a kind of a sluggard attitude. He says this, go to the ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having a chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. It's like the Lord goes like, come, come here, come here. Let me show you something I made. Check these ants out. You know, like look at these little things. They're like these little machines I made. And they have like basically no brain. But look at them work so hard. You know, look at them work collectively. You know, they're all serving each other. They don't even know they're doing it. Look what I made. Check them out, you know. And, and, and he says, see this. This is wisdom. This is the way I've made the world. I've, I've made the world, and he's designed all the things he, his commands for us are things he's designed into creation. It's good for these ants that it does this, and we can look at these ants and know that God delights. If God delights and wants to point out the work of ants, how much more does he delight in your ordinary work? Whatever you do, whether you write some code or you're, you know, you're cleaning up somebody in a nursing home or whatever you're doing, God delights in that work that you're doing. Guys, work is a good gift from God, something that we were designed for and something he delights in to watch us engage in. Um, so you can miss the gift of work by seeing it as the enemy, but there's a second way to miss God's good, good gift of work, and that's not, not by seeing it as the enemy, but by seeing it as your God, okay? So among the harder working folks, you can see it as your God. What does it look like to trust work as your God? Um, your work is your God if you're looking to it, you're looking to your career to give you things only God can give you. And those things would be things like this, significance. How do I know my life is worth living, right? Is it, is it my career? Then that career is your God. Security. How do I know for sure my future is going to be solid and, and I don't have to fear the future? Is it because of your work? Then work's your God. Um, it, it, approval. How do I know that people like and respect me? Does it answer your career? Then that's your God. You're looking to things that only God can give you. You're trying to fill a little bucket of significance or security or approval, and the thing is, it's got a hole in the bottom. There's no way for work to fill that bucket. And, and your God of career will require sacrifices. You know, all through the Old Testament, right? God and the foreign gods, they, they require sacrifices. That work will require sacrifices. And if you want it to bless you with significance and value and all those things, then you're happy to sacrifice those things. Um, we see one attempt to sacrifice to career in Proverbs eleven eighteen. You know, trying to get the security that you can from work. And it says this, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Right? So there's a, an attempt there by work. Like, why would someone do that? Why would somebody be deceptive in their practices and cut corners and things like that? Why are they doing that? They're either doing it for approval or significance, or they're doing it for security. Like, if I didn't take this shortcut, somehow God's not going to take care of me. Um, Proverbs 20, 23 says, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are no good. 
The idea there is, you know, in a marketplace, you'd come to get your grain, and they'd have a scale, and the guy would have a weight, you know, like a whatever weight, and put it on there and put your grain here. And sometimes he would have a smaller one or, a, or one that was big, but it was lighter. <laughs> and he'd put it on there, and he'd cheat you, right? And, and that could happen. And, and the Bible talks about that sometimes the sellers, they wouldn't do that to the rich, but when the poor came or people that didn't have no better and things like that, they'd pull out the other weight, right? Take advantage of them. Why are they doing that? Trying to find their security and wealth. And so if your work is your God, you're going to sacrifice anything to serve it. You'll sacrifice your principles, you sacrifice your family, you sacrifice your health. But guys, the blessings of that false God are fleeting. Proverbs 23, 4 is great. He says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light upon it, it is gone. It suddenly sprouts wings and flies away like an eagle to heaven. Isn't that awesome? You know, you're trying to get all your security, your significant, all these things in your career. And what does it do? thing just flies away. You know, it's just gone. Um, this is right around the first of the month. You know it flies away, right? You're like, man, I'm rich, you know? And then you get all your bills out, you're like, I'm not rich. I was rich for eight hours, <laughs> you know? It's crazy. In a modern setting, we don't just look for um, security and work. We look for our significance and our acceptance. We're basically looking to our careers sometimes to justify our existence, right? And that's why work is so painful. Um, work can become to us our God, in Proverbs 30, verse 7, he says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. And then listen to this. This is the killer part. Lest when I am full I deny you and say, Who is Yahweh? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane your name. He's saying, don't make me poor because I'm going to be tempted to steal and feed my family and that wouldn't be good for you. But don't make me too full either because I'm going to go like, Who's the Lord? This is my Lord, right? My career is my Lord. And that can happen. Guys, work was not meant to give you ultimate meaning and security. There's a great example of this, which you probably heard before in Chariots of Fire, old movie, about um, the Olympics in Paris in, in 1924. There's two Olympians there. There's, um, there's Eric Liddell. He's a Christian. And then there's Harold uh, Abrahams. And they both have different views of their racing, right? This is their career. This is their thing. They both have radically different views of their racing. I'll tell you the Christian one later. But this guy, um, Ab Abrahams, he says this. He says this about his running. I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. <laughs> How many of you are that way? You know, your sales quota, whatever it is, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. Like, work was never meant to justify your existence. And treating that work that way, guys, will eat you alive. Because if you don't attain your goals, you're going to be crushed and feel like a failure, right? If you do attain them, you know what you're going to find? You're going to be totally disillusioned because you're going to find at the end of the day, it never fills you up. And we see that in our culture. There's plenty of people that have run the experiment. They've gone all the way. And what they tell you guys is it's empty. It never fulfills your significant security and approval. You're still empty. Why? Because work's just not designed to do that. You know? Jim Carrey, famous philosopher, said, he said this. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Right? Solomon was that way too, right? Solomon's our greatest experiment, way richer than Jim Carrey, that's for sure. Had everything he wanted. At the end, what do you say? It's like grasping for wind. It's vanity. It's all vanity. It's all just, you know, it's all just trying to pour water into a bucket with a big hole at the bottom, right? And guys, I really think that we're more miserable in our work than centuries ago, even, the way, even though our lives are way better, because we're looking to work to do something it was never designed to do. You know, we've got it really good compared to people like 16, 1700, some, 
you know, person that had to work all day and, you know, face starvation all the time. We're way more miserable because we're looking for work to do something it wasn't meant to do. We're looking to it as our God, right? But guys, the gospel frees us from looking to work for this, to looking to work to be something only God can be. And um, in Christ, guys, all of our failures, including our work failures, have been forgiven, and all of our longings, the things we long for, have been fulfilled. In Christ, all of our failures have been forgiven, and all our longings are fulfilled. Jesus Christ redeemed our work by becoming a man and entering the workplace. You guys realize that? God himself became a man. The word for uh, what he was is a, a tecton. It's not necessarily a carpenter, could have been working with stone or whatever, but it's a laborer. A lot of times we think of Jesus as a carpenter, and we think he's one of these guys that maybe has an Instagram account with really fine furniture and stuff like that. Not that kind of deal at all, right? This guy was laboring in obscurity, in a tiny place. I mean, Nazareth is a tiny place. It's not the big times, right? He's in an obscure place laboring. When God came in the flesh, here's the crazy thing. When God came in the flesh, he spent the vast majority of his time working in obscurity. You guys realize that? You guys realize that Jesus' ministry, the part that most of the Gospels cover, is less than 10% of his life? 90% of his life was his childhood, which was probably brief, and the rest was a ton of working, a ton of just laboring, right? And if anything says that your ordinary work has value, then that does. You might have the most ordinary, no-one-cares type job, and God values and delights in it, just like he delighted in his son at work. Um, Jesus came, guys, to, to, to work to be our righteousness, but also to perform an ultimate work, right? His ultimate work was his work on the cross. One great act of love and service on the cross where he got us forgiveness. And that forgiveness is something that we need. We need it because we've looked to our career and a thousand other things to be our God. It's actually quite evil to look to our career to be our God, right? When God is the one who gives us all things and we credit something else, but we do it with all kinds of other things, too. We do it with relationships. We do it with, we do it with money. We do it with all types of things, your looks, um, all kinds of things that we trade and make our saviors. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The works of our life have earned us a wage, is what Romans says. All the works we've done have earned us a wage. It's earned us a paycheck. Do you know what the paycheck is? Death. Wages of sin is death. That's what we earn. You know, at the end of our lives, you know, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to my heavenly reward. You okay? Well, if it's your heavenly reward, that's what it is. It's the wages of sin is death, right? But Jesus lives a perfect life, right? He enters. He's, he's perfect in his workplace. He's perfect as a child. He grows up. His ministry. And he has earned, guys, a wage, a paycheck, too. And the, the wages that Jesus has earned is eternal life, full acceptance with the Father, full glorious future in the world to come. That's what he's earned. That's his paycheck. And, and, and the good news is, is that if you'll ask Jesus, even today, if you'll ask him, he will transfer those, right? He will take your wage of death, and he will give you his wage of righteousness. Because that's how the gospel works. It says in Romans 6, it says that the free gift of God is eternal life. Um, it, it's not about our wages. It's about having our wages given to Christ. And so where, where do our wages go? That's what happened on the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ endured the wages of your sin so that right now he could give you the wages of his perfect life. Isn't that awesome? And, and the gospel, guys, it works fundamentally different than your workplace. And it also works fundamentally different than gospelist religion. Both those places are, are graceless places, right? 
Uh, and both your work, your work is a graceless place. Now, there might be very nice people there. But the bottom line is, if you do your job, you get paid. If you don't, you're gone, right? And you might have a, somebody that will work with you. You have some trouble. They give you a little time off and stuff. But at the end of the day, you do need to perform, right? And, and you get a wage for that. You earn that. Well, religion's the same way. Rel- gospelist religion's the same way. It's you earn your way. You earn your way to God. You earn your way to heaven. The gospel, guys, is totally different than that. The gospel's a gift, not wages. You get what Jesus earned because he got what you earned on the cross. It, it's about a gift. It's about grace. Um, and you know what's cool? If you really get that, like, and that thing has to be gotten regularly. Like, you have to really work to get that. When you really get that, and don't assume you have, when you really get that, you know what it does? It frees you in a, a wonderful way in your work. It frees you in a wonderful way in your work because work is hard because it's hard. It's a lot harder when you're using it to justify your existence. <laughs> he takes that away. He takes that away. He frees you in your work. You remember that Harold Abrams in, in, in Chariots of Fire? And he said that his racing was about 10 minutes, 10 seconds to justify his existence, right? Well, the other runner, the Christian, Eric Little, he had a totally different way of, of looking at his work, of looking at the same work, Right? This is what he said about racing. He said to his sister, he said, this is what motivates him. He said, well, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Okay? That's what it's like to work under the gospel. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's what it feel, the freedom of the gospel feels like at work. It's not 10 seconds to justify your existence. It's God gave me these gifts, and I feel, like I feel his pleasure when I use them. Isn't that awesome? And if we get this, we have this kind of deep soul rest that the other people don't have. We have a deep soul rest. And it allows us, guys, it allows us to be ready for what work's really for. So what is work for? If it's not to be our enemy and it's not our God, what's it for? Your work, guys, is your most consistent opportunity to love and serve your neighbor. You know, the greatest command, love the Lord your God. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. Your work is your most consistent opportunity outside the home. It's your most consistent opportunity to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Proverbs twenty two twenty nine is great. He says this, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Two things to notice in that text. One is, is that your work is a massive gift. Your work is an act of love. Your work is valuable. Your work is a huge gift to your clients, your customers, your patients, your employer, you know, person you work for. Um, so much so that kings would want it. <laughs> hey, you guys, do you, any of you guys have a, just an awesome mechanic or just an awesome dentist or a great concrete guy or you have a great plumber or electrician? You guys have somebody like that? Almost like when something goes wrong in your life, you're like, it's fine. I mean, this is going to cost me, but I got a guy, right? You guys have a guy like that? Like, isn't that a gift to you? Somebody like that? Isn't it a wonderful gift? And that person does not have to be cheap, right? They can, they can charge a regular wage, and you're happy to pay it because this person's work, they do it with such skill and care that you're happy to pay for it. And you know other people would be happy to pay for it. That's why you recommend them. One of the most popular things on Facebook is to post something like, hey, anybody know a good electrician? And people go crazy. Why? Because that person is a gift to them, even though they charge. It's a gift to them. Honest, skilled work is a gift. It's an act of love. It's basically saying, does anyone know an electrician that really loves people? They would do this skillfully and, and with care and, and, and treat my house the way they would treat their own, right? It, it's a treasure to people. Those are the kind of people we hope they never retire, right? 
And my dentist just did. I'm like, no, you know, I'm such a dental phobe. Like, it's so hard to go in. You know, I lost the dentist, you know. But I've got this mechanic, and he's an older guy, and I'm probably going to lose him, you know. Like, it's like you stress out about these things. You've got your guy. I just want to say this to you guys. Be that guy. You know, be that guy. Be that lady at work. You know, be that person that your work is actually a gift and an act of love to people. It's your best opportunity. you got at least 40 hours a week to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And notice something else about this verse, where it says, um, do, you, do you see a man skillful in his work? That word skillful can also be trained, maybe be better translated, gifted. That, that skill he has is something God gave him. It's not just something he honed, he didn't hone it, but it's a gift that God gave him. And, and so work is your most consistent opportunity to glorify God by serving and loving your neighbor as yourself. And this will help you to know what kind of work to get into. One of the biggest stresses we have in modern society is what am I going to do for a career, right? It's a big stressor, right? It wasn't a big stressor in Jesus' day. You know what he decided? He was like, well, dad was a tecton, laborer, carpenter. I'm going to be a carpenter. You know what I mean? There was no choice to be made. Um, with us, the choice is made harder because we're looking to it to justify our existence. I've got to get this right because this is, this is my identity. This isn't your identity, Right? You're just looking for the best way to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And, and the gospel frees you to make it just about that. Just about loving and serving people, right? Um, and when we see how God loved us through his son on the cross, we want to love him back. And, and, and God, you know, you know what's cool is God doesn't need your good works. You know, he loved you. You're like, what can I do in return? He's like, I don't really need anything, but you could serve these people, right? That's how we love God back. Um, I love Proverbs 16, 3. It says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Our work can be an act of worship as we love and serve others. Um, any of you guys like jazz? Any of you guys like train? John Coltrane? So John Coltrane is a jazz saxophonist. And he, he, his most famous thing was a love supreme. And it's awesome listening. It's mesmerizing, you know, like good jazz is. It's like it draws you in and you don't even know how long you've been in there. You know, it's amazing, <laughs> you know? It's a long time, usually, with jazz musicians. But he wrote this in the liner notes of A Love Supreme. He wrote this. You know, you got the inside with the... That's why we're bummed now. It's all electronic. Spotify, there's no liner notes. But he wrote this in his liner notes. He said, During the year 1957, I experienced, by the grace of God, a spiritual awakening, which was to lead me to a richer, fuller, more productive life. At that time, in, uh, in gratitude, I humbly asked... So this was his prayer. I humbly asked God, to give me the means and privilege to make others happy through music. I feel that this has been granted through his grace. All praise to God. And then he talked, he confesses here, he says, As time and events moved on, a period of irresolution did prevail. I entered into a phase which was contradictory to my pledge. So he's got basically time. kind of failed at it, you know. But he says, um, But through the unerring and merciful hand of God, I do perceive and have been duly reinformed of his omnipotence. And our need for him and our dependence on him. God is gracious and merciful. His way is love. It is truly a love supreme. This album is a humble offering to him. An attempt to say thank you to God through our work. Even as we do it in our hearts and with our tongues. And then he has this prayer. May he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. What a cool view of work, right? What a cool view of work. This offering to God to make others happy in music. And he goes, you know, I just, I just hope that's true in your field. Basically he's saying, right? Our work is a way of us responding to the grace of God and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And this kind of helps us pick a job, right? Um, you know, the gospel frees us from it being about our identity. So then we just got to go, okay, how can I love and serve people best? And so we look at three things. We look at what gifts we have. 
we look at what um, desires we have, and we look at what opportunity we have. So we look at what gifts we have. The gifts I have, what would be the best way for me to love and serve my neighbor? And there's multiple options. I think there's this view in Christianity that, like, God's got this one particular field for you, and it's a big Easter egg hunt to figure out what it is, and if you get it wrong, you're just going to have a miserable life. You have multiple options. I could do multiple things, right? I could be a veterinarian. I couldn't be a small animal veterinarian. don't want to do that at all. Um, so don't ask. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I could be a professor. I could be a pastor full-time. I mean, there's a bunch of things I could do, right? There's a bunch of things you could do. So you look at your gifts, some things that you actually could do. And then you think about what do you want to do? Cool thing, as a modern human, you get to pick, right? It's not like ancient times. You could pick. It's part of the stress, but you get to pick. And then the opportunity. What ways are there for me to serve my neighbors as myself that pays enough to support my family, right? That is an important thing, right? Um, And this question calls us to be realistic. Because some of us have dream jobs that we've really never found a way to get paid by, okay? Like, that's not an option, okay? The Proverbs say this. Proverbs 12, 11 says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. And one translation says, chasing fantasies, okay? Some of us really wanted, not me, but so, I didn't want to do this, but some of us wanted a sports career. I have no sports gene. Is there something going on today? I don't know. Um, <laughs> some of us have wanted, to, you know, sports was our thing. Or some of us have wanted, you know, we're going to be a musician or we're going to be whatever, right? Um, there was some, we're going to be an actor, or we're going to do some really high-level job, but we never really had the grades for it. Okay, like, we got to be realistic, right? Got to be realistic. Um, I'm going to be, like, a really inspirational meme right now and say, it might be time for you to let your dream die. Okay? I haven't seen that one. But, uh, but it's true. You know, sometimes we have to, the most manly thing for some men is just to go, you know what, I kind of want to do this, but this is what's available, and we'll pay for my family, and you know, care for them, and stuff like that, and it is a good way to love and serve others, so I'm going to take that. It might be time to get yourself, like, a super ordinary, non-flashy job, just like Jesus had, okay? Um, and you might say to me, well, that's easy for you to say you have a dream job. I don't know that I do have my dream job. You guys know, my job requires a glove that goes all the way to my shoulder, I'll let you figure out what that's for, okay? You know, and Tosh knows from doing the laundry, like, this is bloody, this is messy. Sometimes I got to come in the middle of the day to change, you know, like, you could say it's a dream job. Jury's out on that one. (laughs) But what's cool, guys, is God has you strategically where he has you, even if it's a very ordinary job. And it was really cool to look at this week, to look at how many people in the Bible served God in big ways in very ordinary jobs, like Abraham. Okay? Massive dude, right? Not in full-time ministry. Dude's got flocks and stuff like that. Ordinary job. Isaac, ordinary job, tending flocks and stuff like that. Um, Jacob, tending flocks and stealing people's sheep, you know? Um, Joseph, right? Civil servant in Egypt, very ordinary job. Deborah, civil servant, judge in Israel, ordinary job, big deal, right? Um, Daniel, civil servant, Babylon, right? Ordinary job. God used him hugely. Nehemiah, lots of civil servants. Civil servant, Persia, God used them in a big way. Lydia, huge deal in the early church. She's a seller of purple. She had a business. It was her own, I think she owned her own business. She had a church in her home. She was significant in the spread of the gospel and discipling people and communications and everything. She was huge. She was a traveling, probably, business person, so that was used. Aquila and Priscilla, somebody you need to get to know. Husband and wife team, they were tent makers, just like Paul. They had church in their home, and they, they were the ones that corrected Apollos, this, like, super, you know, passionate preacher and 
and all this, but he didn't have the whole gospel right yet because it was kind of early and he just didn't know. And they took him aside privately and both of them, the husband and wife, more accurately explained the things of, of the gospel to him. Isn't that amazing? Ordinary people. Even Paul, part-time, right? Often making tents, used in his ordinary work. Guys, God doesn't usually call you out of ordinary vocation. He instead sends you back with a new kingdom vision and intentionality. He's got you guys so strategically placed. I was thinking of some of the jobs that are here. We have an accountant, an author, a casino auditor. We have a communications and software consultant, computer programmers, multiple, contractor, EMT, engineers, filmmaker, finance agent. We have graphic artists, grocery store clerk, hospice chaplain, hairstylist, insurance agent, loan processor. We've got multiple managers. We've got a military police officer. We've got a naval chief. We've got uh, nurses. Uh, PA students, we got uh, photographers, physical trainer, uh, a couple police officers, we've got professors, psychologists, we got multiple real estate agents, a teacher, we got a train conductor. Did you know we have a train conductor? He's not wearing his hat right now, so you don't know. <laughs> we, got a, we got a train conductor, we have an ultrasound tech student, we have waitress, warehouse worker, and welder, and more. And I didn't mention yours, I'm sorry, I forgot you. <laughs> But you know what's cool about that? Like, imagine, and part of the reason I did that is so you go like, ooh, who's the train conductor? And you, like, actually look for them. Like, you could know all this about them. I do. You could do this. Okay. You could do this, too. But imagine, guys, that we wanted to hire staff to reach all those workplaces and people. How much would it cost us? It's impossible. It's impossible. But you're already there, and they pay you to be there. Isn't that amazing? Now, I want to be clear. They don't pay you to preach the gospel there. Your primary work role there is to work, to, to love the people that are there with your work, right? But guys, you're going to be provided opportunities. You know, you're going to be provided opportunities as you consistently love your neighbor as yourself there, right? Um, God has significant ministry for you there, even beyond your regular work. Because when you go to work, you guys realize you bring the presence of Christ and his kingdom to that place. I don't know if you knew that that was a big, that big a deal. You know, you hit your time card. I have brought Christ in the kingdom here, you know. But that's what's happening, right? You're bringing Christ. You are. Christ is in you. And I think on your way to work, just be praying, Father, cause Christ to live through me today in my ordinary work. Help come through my life, Christ's love and truth and justice and peace and wisdom and light and grace. You're going to have so many opportunities, guys. Even in a place that doesn't let you preach the gospel, per se, you're going to have all kinds of opportunities. You're going to have opportunities to give wise counsel. So it's so important that we study the Proverbs. There's a lot of people with, like, horrendous ideas about marriage, horrendous ideas about parenting, horrendous ideas about life, right? And the Bible is so rich in it. You have those riches. People share stuff with you. Often they want your advice. You give them wise counsel. You have opportunities to encourage people. People share their devastation with their coworkers and and with people that they do business with. I went to a client's place just this week, and um, he told me, that his wife, who I've known for a couple of years, has a fatal autoimmune disease. Says she didn't have long. And so, you know, I saw a cross in their barn and stuff. Like, sometimes that's just a decoration. But I was like, so you guys Christians? And we kind of talked. And was able to pray for him. And um, going to give him that book. Uh, was that book? Um, Spurgeon's book, Besides Still Waters, which is a great book for people that are, are suffering. Um, 
had multiple opportunities to pray for people. It's funny being a veterinarian, like people want to share their health issues with you, even if they're super personal. <laughs> like, and I have mostly female clients. I'm like, Ugh, I don't need this information, you know? Like, but one of the things I'll do for them is I'll be like, do you want me to pray for you? That's a burden for them. And, um, and, and they say yes, and I say, can I pray for you right now? And that kind of freaks them out. And then sometimes I'll do the ninja prayer, right, where it's like, can I pray for you? And I don't let them answer. I go, Lord, please, you know, you know just give it to them, right? But often had opportunities to pray for people. You have opportunities to pray for people at work. Um, and you'll have opportunities to share the gospel with them. You will. I mean, you shouldn't take your whole job doing that. We all know that guy that doesn't work but constantly preaches the gospel and makes a mess for us. But that's not what we're talking about, right? God has placed you there. You are a ministry of our church there when you're there. And the gospel also helps us, just lastly, the gospel helps us to take joy in our everyday work, even though it's frustrating and flawed. Because we have this idea of how our work should go, and then there's reality, right? There's a service we want to do for people, and there's a service that happens. And um, God reminds us in the gospel that one day we'll be able to serve with perfection. You guys realize that one of the reasons the ancient Greeks had such a low view of physical work is because they had a low view of the physical world. They believed that this world was either an illusion or inferior or corrupt, and they looked forward to a spiritually perfect place. Some Christians are no different. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, it doesn't teach that this place is somehow wrong and needs to be you know, taken away and we're going to go to a purely spiritual place. And so what they viewed, they viewed physical work as uh, a waste of time. You know, why polish the brass on a sinking ship, right? Or, um, you know, as Christians often say, which is wrong, to say, well, you know, it's all going to burn anyway, which is basically a way of saying, like, who cares, right? It's all going to burn anyway. Guys, the Christian view of this physical world is that ultimately God restores it. If you look at Revelation 21 and 22, what we see is we see not us going up to heaven to leave this place behind, but ultimately that heaven comes down here. You see the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, comes down out of heaven from God, comes down to the earth, remakes everything. The view that we often have is Platonism. It's a Greek view that, that God doesn't have any future for this world, but God does have a future for this world. In Revelation 21, 23, it says, And the city will have no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And its light, in its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut day or night, for there will be no night. And they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. And some people are like, well, okay, what is this, these kings, which are often these redeemed people, and they're bringing their glory into it. What's their glory? A lot of commentaries believe, and I think this is very compelling, that what it is, it's the redeemed things from human culture. That God redeems our works. God redeems things from our human culture, and they become a part of the new world. Your work, guys, somehow God redeems your work so that the service that you've done to your neighbors for the glory of God will be redeemed and become a part of the new world. Your work in the Lord is not in vain. And that includes your ordinary work. It doesn't just all burn up anyway. It gets restored. And what's awesome is that one day on that, in that new world, we're going to be able to love and serve people the way we've always wanted to. You know, there's that futility of work where it's like, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this. And you're like, or not. You know, like, and it's just a big letdown. In that place, we're going to be able to work in a way that's not frustrating. We'll actually be able to serve people in the ways we always wanted to. I'm going to read you one last passage. Isaiah 65, 21 says this about our future. They will build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not plant and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen ones shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Isn't that cool? That the world to come is a place where we're going to enjoy the work of our hands. And that's something 
that was secured for us by the pierced hands and feet of our God who came as a lowly Nazarene laborer. Isn't that awesome? He made that all possible. We're going to live in a resurrected world, in resurrected bodies, with our resurrected King Jesus, and we're going to have something there to contribute to and build that place. You guys are going to love the city Jesus is building for you. And you're going to love filling it with great things to his glory. Behold, he makes all things new. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your vision of work. And uh, it's so good, Lord. Help us to, to, to scrape off all the views we have of eternity that are unattractive because they're unbiblical. Lord, help us to see the earthiness of what you have for us. We long to see you, as Job said, with our own eyes, in our own bodies, raised and made new. Father, we, we, as we take communion, we look forward to eating with you in the marriage supper of the Lamb. You promise a feast. You promise joy and dancing. You promise us that we could build and create and make things that are going to be honoring to you and helpful to each other. We just thank you for that, Lord. Give us the strength to live like that now. Lord, help us as we go to work to have a vision for it of loving and serving others, not seeing our work as the enemy or as our God, but as a way to serve and love our neighbor as ourselves for your glory. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would make us aware of your presence all day as we work. Help us have disciplines that do that. Help us to remember you're in us and with us. We thank you in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.